Community Church. Getting close to the end of 1 Peter. So today we're going to try and do half of chapter 5. Now if I suddenly look at you like a deer in a headlights, it's because I flipped my pages over. On one side, see I don't like to waste paper, so on one time is my message from last week. On the other side is the one I'm preaching this week. So if I turn the page wrong, I'll be in the wrong notes. And I probably won't recognize them. We're going to start out by reading the first seven verses of this chapter. Uh, chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, first seven verses. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger submit yourselves to to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, did you recognize any of those phrases towards the end? I read them from the Old Testament. Some of those same verses, casting all your care and being humbled and lifted up by God. Those all come from Psalms and Proverbs, and I read those to you and then added James to it. We'll get to that as we get done with this first part. But since we're preaching through, I have to deal with elders first. This has been an interesting study for me, and I hope it will be for you. If you're in a church that votes for people who you believe are spiritually mature, you, sometimes you watch us, you may think we aren't spiritually mature. Some of the things we do and uh, our craziness, but craziness is not a mark of immaturity. It's what we do spiritually that marks our maturity. But it's interesting here that the word elders is used, elders used different ways. And in this case, isn't particularly talking about pastors alone, but talking about those who are older or spiritually mature. The word elder comes from a word that's used both ways. In fact, if you were reading along with me, in verse 5 it says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And so there's a statement that makes it look like older and younger. Now, there's different ways to look at the older and younger, and one of them is to recognize that, okay, maybe we are older and younger, and frankly, you ought to respect your elders, shouldn't you? You ought to treat... Oh, I'm not on. 
just walked away. My wife and I, and uh, am I on now? Okay, good. <laughs> so, bottom line, you ought to respect your elders. Those who are older than you, those who are younger, ought to respect those who are older. You ought to treat them with respect. There should be a certain amount of, of respect and, and care and attentiveness given to somebody who's older than you. They have the wisdom of the years, people will say. But in the case of believers, they also have the wisdom of walking with God, hopefully for a long period of time. Many of the men in here who are older have been in a relationship with God for many years. Um, Don, when did you come to know the Lord? Six years old. Six years old. So he's, he's my age. So that means he's been 66 years, 64 years, just went the wrong way. 64 years with the Lord. That's a long reign. It's a lot of growth. I came later. He was partly responsible, but mostly it was his sister who was responsible because I came with her because I thought she was beautiful and I loved her smile and, and we could go on and on. But the bottom line is, I came to sit with her. That's why I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't date her. She was too young. But I could sit with her. And it's here that I heard the message that brought me to Christ. At that time, I was almost 18 years old. And that's when I came to know the Lord. So, I'm a little younger than he is. Although I'm his elder in age, I am not his elder spiritually. Um, that makes me only about, what, 52 years old in Christ. And we could go on. I could ask Tom, how old are you in Christ? In, how old are you in Christ? About 75 years. 75 years. John, you're younger. Yes. 33 when I came to the Lord. 33 and you're... 88, so that's uh, 53, 55 years. 55 years. And we could keep going. And we'd find different amounts of years. But there would be younger ones in here, right? And the younger ones are to respect, show proper respect to the elders. Now, in our church, we call a lot of the men who are sort of in this spiritual place elder-wise because partly the elder word means that. That they're the ones who are have grown. They're the ones who have been with the Lord longer. They're the ones who have shown a spiritual maturity. And therefore you look up to them as leaders, as those who are examples to the flock. And we'll read more of that here. And in the process of doing that, you recognize that sometimes age is not the particular thing. It's growth that may make them elder or, in a sense, uh, more mature spiritually. And so this word's used both ways. And in different places in the scripture, it's used of age. And in other places, it's used of spiritual maturity. And here, a large portion of this, I would think, is dealing with spiritual maturity, and that's why I wanted to explain that. It's talking about those who are in a place spiritually 
that Peter appeals to them as elders. To the elders among you, I appeal, appear as a fellow elder. Now all of you would recognize Peter as somebody who's grown close to the Lord and has, has developed a spiritual matur, matur, maturity. And in the end, sometimes I'm going to get these words all messed up. So, uh, But the bottom line, he's developed to a place and as an apostle has a place that people respect him for who he is. Okay? But now he's appealing to the other elders and saying, I'm just, I'm a fellow elder with you. I'm appealing to you as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings. He was personally a witness. At this point in time, there may have been others who were witnesses who would have seen Christ's suffering. Um, and says, a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So he talks about this witness. Uh, the witness tends to even look towards testifying of Christ's suffering, his ultimate love for us, to die for us, to shed his blood, that we might be clean and not guilty before his Father. That as a fellow elder, we are presenting as a witness the same Christ. We, the younger, may not have the same passion for that realization as the older do. The older I get, the, the more precious that realization becomes. I'm significantly aware that I should not be God's child. I would place myself with Paul as chief of sinners. Probably a lot of other people would. But the bottom line is, I don't deserve that position. I don't deserve that place. And yet, I am a fellow servant. It could be a pastor. This could be relating to a pastor from the standpoint of a pastor as an elder. He's one who's grown spiritually and is in that position. But I think in this instance, it's also talking about elders, plural, those who have grown with the Lord and have been promoted to positions of leadership spiritually in the church. That's interesting. In our church, we call our group that met with a pastor and that would talk about spiritual things deacons. But it would seem to indicate that elders is a more accurate term. Because if you remember, when they chose deacons, who were they choosing? What were the men being chosen for? Servant. They were to serve the widows indeed. They were to serve tables. They had a purpose that was different than just spiritual ministry. That didn't mean that they weren't spiritually minded because what happened to Stephen? He witnessed for the Lord and ended up being stoned to death for the Lord. So they had a spiritual ministry, but their purpose was they had a heart to serve others and care for them. In many of our churches and in our church, deacons tend to have more of a spiritual purpose to be aware of what's going on spiritually and to play a part 
in caring for those needs. So elder may be a better word. I'm not saying we should change that, by the way. I'm just trying to get you to understand that here, as it speaks of elders, it's probably including those here that are considered your deacons, that they're elders. They're people who you recognize as being in a spiritual place in their life that you've voted them in to be leaders in your church. And you expect some amount of spiritual maturity in them, don't you? Do you expect some amount of spiritual maturity in your deacons? Some of you are shaking your head yes. Some of you are just staring at me. Now you're the deer in the headlight. Okay? But you do, don't you? Don't you kind of look at your elders as your deacons, as somebody that you look up to spiritually and expect them to be there somewhere? Up there spiritually? And so when you, when you see that, you recognize that he's speaking to these elders and he gives them some commands. He, he does tell you, you'll share in the glory to come. And that's really cool. He says, be shepherds of God's. It says before that also, we'll share in the glory to be revealed. That's still coming. That's going to happen. Uh, you'll be part of that. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Be shepherds of God's flock. I watch next door, I watch Tony with his sheep all the time. I get the biggest kick out of watching these sheep because whatever Tony does, they're aware of. It, it amazes me. They can be down the field and Tony comes out and over to the, to the barn and suddenly they're all running back to the barn because he's the shepherd. He's the one who cares for them. He's going to meet their needs. He's aware of what's going on. And all those sheep know that their best interest lies in that person that's walking out there, the shepherd. And so here he's telling you, in a sense, to be shepherds of God's flock. This church is part of God's flock. As a pastor, he's sort of the chief shepherd uh, underneath, uh, I guess you'd call him an under-shepherd under the chief shepherd, which is Christ. The rest of us are, are shepherds too, caring for the flock of God, paying attention, hopefully looking out for your very best interest spiritually. And that would be part of our purpose. And we desire to do that if that's the position we're in. Well, how do we desire to do that? He says, watching over him, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Do so willingly, not forced to, and not dragging your feet. Nobody ever should become an elder or a deacon in a church or a pastor because they feel like they're forced to get there. Maybe family pushes them. Maybe others push them. Maybe the church says, oh, you would be such a good deacon and they put you in a position you really didn't want to be in. Your purpose in serving should be because you want to serve the Lord. And you're doing this willingly. I'm willing to become 
a part of this family in a way that I am caring for the spiritual needs of the family. And it shouldn't be because I feel forced to be there. It also shouldn't be because uh, some way I want to profit from this. And by that, it's not necessarily profit in an appropriate manner. You know, I've been in churches where some of the elders, and I don't mean members, I mean visiting churches, where some of the members were benefiting from their relationship with the church as deacons because it gave them connections with people and connections that they could use. And they were in the wrong place. They were using it for gain that was dishonest. They weren't just there to serve the people or to care for their spiritual well-being. They were there because they could profit from it. Now you do know that the pastor is worthy of his hire. So you want to make sure he's paid and cared for. On the other hand, you don't want the pastor to come because of what he can make. You want him to come because God desires him to be here and he's willing to serve. But you better be ready to care for him. Because that's your job. So on the one hand, you're looking at the elders and saying, even the pastor needs to be taken care of. That's the congregation's purpose. But... He needs to desire to be here willingly because God wants him here. The rest of us need to serve willingly, not forced to, not pursuing any gain monetarily, not ruling over. That's what it says next in verse 3. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So you're eager to serve not lording it over. So I'm not here to be your ruler. None of the deacons that are involved are here to rule over you. We're here to come alongside of you. We're interested in your well-being. And these elders, that's their purpose. Interested in your well-being. A fellow elder like Peter, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples. How do I do the best work I can do in this church? I live in a way that is an example to you. Now every day when I'm spending time with God, I'm striving to figure out where I'm following up. Lord, how do I need to change? How do I need to grow? I get kind of cranky with my wife. I've many times gone to her and said, I'm really sorry, I was cranky. I, I was out of sorts. It's not right. I shouldn't have said what I said. I shouldn't have talked the way I did. I would hope that even that willingness to go and ask her to forgive me and, and be okay with me again, to recognize my fault, would be an example to the flock to do the same thing to care for our wrongdoing, our sin, and to take care of it appropriately. Sometimes it means I have to look at my life and say, can I even do this job justice? And what else do I need to do? And I often look at it and think I should be doing way more than I am. 
if I'm spiritually active with the church. And he wants us to be in that place where we're striving to be examples with our active lives so that others can see that example and desire to pursue their spiritual lives with God in the same way, to grow and to mature and to become an active part of the church in a way that they affect others as well. Now as you study those scriptures, part of that comes out later that, that you want others to serve the same way. And we're going to get to that as we get down to verse 5. In verse 4, it gives a res result of this service and says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, I read this and I read a whole bunch of commentators and it, it definitely is something that pastors look forward to, but I think it's also other spiritual leaders that are striving to shepherd God's flock along with a pastor, caring for its needs. You know, sometimes a pastor carries the whole load alone, or at least it seems that way. I know one thing, when our pastor retired, the deacon suddenly realized what needed to be done. And it, it changed things. We suddenly realized we weren't doing half of what we should have been doing. And you, you start changing. You start looking and saying, Lord, how do you want me to serve? What do you want me to be like? What exam example do you want me to have? And ultimately, it's interesting that as I study, I couldn't find the word crown in this at all. But even if all we do is take the glory, that at this point, they would receive glory that will never fade away. That's a pretty massive word. That they would receive this special bonus, this glory. If it's a crown of glory, that's wonderful. But any way you look at it, it's glorious. It's something beyond the norm that's given to those who care for the spiritual life of the church, who are willing to be part of shepherding the flock. And God wants them to do that. In 1 Corinthians 9, it does use the term crown. It says a crown that will last forever. And uses that term crown. And so there, that term's there, and maybe that has a relation to this. That's your elders. When we call a pastor, you're calling a chief elder, someone who's going to be at the head. And the rest of the elders ought to be part of that ministry, helping as he works to lead the people, to preach the word. As we do that, you need to be ready to be under that leadership. Even as now, with the deacons, you need to understand that's the leadership of your church at the present time. And be willing to hear as we preach. Be willing to respond as we teach and try to watch out for your spiritual well-being. So then in verse 5, he kind of turns the corner a little bit and says, in the same way. Now, you know what that means, right? 
in the same way? Just as I've been talking about the elders, so you who are younger, I, I really struggled to want to get away from the idea of older and younger. And I think really that's where the spiritual maturity comes in. The younger, in age sometimes, but spiritually, less mature, not grown up. Submit to your elders. In the same way, you who are younger, submit to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. So, now he's saying, okay, you as a church body, how do you respond? Well, the younger ought to do the same thing the elders are doing. You want to grow, get closer to the Lord. You want to spend time in the Word. You want to fellowship with one another. You want to be interested in the other person's life. Have fellowship with. Understand where each other is spiritually. Come alongside and strive to help us each other to grow. So he says, the younger, they ought to do just what the elders do. And submit to your elders. What's that take? He goes on, says, everyone, put on clothes of humility, lowliness, not considering yourself to be higher, up there, but lower. Thinking of yourselves differently. Sometimes I've, I've had it said to me that the way I talk, I sound proud. And maybe I do. I don't mean to sound proud. God's done amazing things in my life. I'm excited about what he's done, and sometimes when I talk about it, it may sound like I'm proud. But I'm really just excited about what God's done in my life. And I, wanna, I want to encourage and excite you to go after the same things, to go to the same place. I cannot believe that I'm God's child. I started this morning saying, Lord, why are you putting me in a pulpit? I don't know what I did to deserve to be up here at all. I'm grateful that God uses me. I'm humbled by the fact that he does. And here he's saying, he wants you to, in humility, one to another, care for each other. Humble yourself before God. Why? He says, God, because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Uh, go ahead and toot your horn. But if you're tooting it because you're proud and not because you want to testify of Jesus Christ, then the testimony is worthless. It's not worth listening to if that's what I'm doing. And I would hope I'd never give that impression. We need to be humble. God opposes the proud. He lifts up the humble. 
verse 6 he says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And that's sort of a statement of at the, at the appropriate time, at the right time. You know, we have a sovereign God. And as you give yourselves over to God at the appropriate time, he will work in your life. He will lift you up when you humble yourself before him at the right time. In due time may not be the time you want. God doesn't work according to our whims and fancies. God works because he knows what he's doing. And his timing's always perfect. One of the things that we often go back to and think about, remember when Lazarus was dying and they came to him and they said, he's dying and they knew he loved them, you need to come, and he waited. Waited four days and showed up after he was buried. The thing you realize is that in God's timing, Christ arrived on time. Perfectly. Did it fit with what everybody else wanted? No. No. The sisters thought he'd come right away. If he showed up, what would happen? He wouldn't have died. And he reminds them, well, you know who I am, right? He's going he's gonna to rise again. And they said, yeah, 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 at the resurrection. And he's trying to tell them, no, you know, now. And what happens? He rises from the dead and comes out. I don't know as I would have wanted to have been Lazarus. I've thought about that many times. I got to go to paradise and now I'm back on earth again. I'm not sure I would have wanted to do that. But... That's what happened because it was God's sovereignty. So you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, huge power. He can do amazing things and he will lift you up or exalt you at exactly the right moment. A time that's chosen by a sovereign God. God cares for you. That's the very next thing that he says. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The other verses I read, all, came, all were quotes of, of those verses. The, here, Peter's quoting Old Testament passages and reminding you that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When you're looking for somebody to talk to about something that's really painful or that you're really fighting with, who do you go to? You're going to go to a total stranger who doesn't even care about you? Well, maybe if you don't want to really hear the answer, you'll go to a total stranger. Then you can ignore them. But if you really want to talk to somebody who you know will respond to you, you're looking for somebody who you know loves you. You want to talk to them because you know they'll care and they'll listen. And they'll come alongside and they'll love on you and they'll strive to find a way to help you. But at the very least, you know that they love you and pray for you. You cast all your care on God because he cares for you. 
guaranteed. He loves you. You can trust him in whatever he's doing in your life, no matter what happens. I used to ponder, and I still think about this from time to time, if I lost somebody I loved very much. At first it was my wife. Then I had two children, so then it was my children. What, what would happen if something happened to them? So far, God's graciously kept them here. And I'm grateful because I'm not sure I could have handled any of that early on in my life. I don't want to handle it now. And now I've got 10 grandchildren I think about in the same way. And I've got a church family that I think about the same way. Do I want to lose any of them? Not one. I know it's going to happen, you know. I can't live out my whole life without losing somebody I love. I lost a dad, lost a mom. You know, there's others I've lost that I love. I don't enjoy that. I know that those that love God, I'm going to see again. It makes that easier for me. My church family, I'm grateful you know the Lord. It gives me a sense of peace. My son and daughter and their spouses, same way. Others here. My grandchildren. I know some of them have come to know the Lord. I'm waiting for the rest. But I still don't want to lose any of them. So I pray about that all the time. Well, here, he says, the easiest way for me not to hang on to all that anxiety, I cast all that care on Christ. I can depend on him to do what's best in every situation. I can trust him. And that's ultimately what David says at the end. I trust in the Lord. So as you look at this, I've kind of covered a large area, partly because we kind of want to get done with First Peter before we start our missionary month. But partly because it was a good place to cut we go from elders to, okay, you younger, act like an elder, learn like an elder, grow, walk in such a way that others will see your maturity, that you will be like Christ. Elders, be challenged. That's who we ought to be. Willingly following the Lord, striving to be our very best spiritually before the Lord and therefore examples to everyone else. Now all of you know, I hope by now, that we're not perfect. That's not the point. The point is that we're striving to grow with the Lord and we want you to join us in that growth. We want you to be part of that. Ultimately, I can put all of that in God's hands because he cares for me. I can trust him. So as we go on through this search for a pastor, for this growth in our church, as long as God allows us to be your preachers and, and your elders, I'm praying that you'll join us in growth and that we'll be servants together for the Lord, witnesses to a whole community that needs to know Christ. He died for us. As we understand the fullness of that, we ought to want to give everything we have to him 
because we can cast everything on him because he cares for us. We can trust him. Trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you are an amazing God. I pray that as your scripture challenges us to live in such a way that we are examples of Jesus Christ, we are examples spiritually to others, that you would help this whole church to be challenged by that, to live in a way that we are growing spiritually, to love you in such a way that we desire to give all of ourselves to you because we realize that you love us far more than we could love you. You have our best as the most important thing that you would work in us to be like you. Help us, Lord, to grow. Help us to put ourselves in your hands. Help us to be the people you want us to be. That we might follow the example of Jesus Christ, of Peter, of Paul, of others that we know. That we would become spiritually mature, trusting you that as we humble ourselves before you, you will care for every need we have. Thank you for loving us, Father. Work in our lives in Christ's name. Amen. We can turn our hymn books. Boy, I just spoke right into that mic and about killed my ear up here. I'm going to shut this off now. In our hymn books to hymn number 531. I know whom I have believed. Let's stand and sing together. I know whom I have believed. <clears throat> God's wondrous grace to me hath made known, nor why Christ in his boundless love redeemed me for his own. But I know I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know not how this <clears throat> he did impart, nor how believing in his word brought peace within my heart. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. I know not how the Spirit moves convincing men of sin. Revealing Jesus through his word, creating faith in him. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed.
unto him against that day. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Gracious Father, thank you for this time to be here with you, to spend time together as a family, to hear your word, to sing praises to you, to remember who you are. We are humbled by your presence in our life. Help us, Lord, to walk with you, to grow with you, to desire to be examples of those who love you and have grown. Help us to be a church that preaches the gospel and spreads it throughout a community. Bring others to know you, Lord. Help us to grow and to change, to respond to you, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, because we trust you. Thank you, Father, for this time. Help us to go rejoicing and living for you. In Christ's name, amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>